This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hey, this is Sonal. You're listening to the Offscript podcast. And as everybody seems to be talking about the Tinder swindler and the puppet master and the different scams that are going on out there, we catch up with Bob Nygaard. He is a private investigator who specialized in more than two decades in insurance fraud, sweetheart swindles, psychic fraud. We asked him how people fall for these things and how to not be a victim. The Big Interview with Offscript. We're getting into our chat now with Bob Nygaard. He was in the police force for more than two decades, and he actually threw an early case that we'll learn about, became somebody who started to specialize in everything from sweetheart swindles, as they're called, insurance fraud, psychic fraud, especially as well. In the meantime, doing um, federal level investigations as well with the DEA and FBI. Now, I want to start with if you look up the man who is Bob Nygaard, the first thing you notice for sure is his style. He's got a very distinctive style. That it almost, if I asked you to dress up as a PI, as a fancy dress for Halloween, it's you, kind of that look. Okay, it's Columbo-esque. Yeah, it's, it's very right. stereotypical. So I asked him how this whole thing came about. Well, you know, I was a cop for 21 years. I worked in New York. I worked in Harlem. I started off in the subway. And, uh, you know, I was wearing a uniform. I did a little decoy work where I got to be in plain clothes. But for the most part, I was in a blue uniform. But I was always a big fan of the film noir, the old 50s, 40s and 50s film noir movies with like Humphrey Bogart. We were playing Philip Marlowe and Sam Spade and these kind of guys, these old time detectives. And uh, I just liked the style from that era. So once I stopped being a police officer and I became a private investigator, I just took on that look because it just suited my style. I like him already, right? Yeah. I love him. And he sounds like a Bob. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't he? He absolutely. Does he sounds exactly like Bob, who's a police officer for the NYPD, yes. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, and he was relatively new to the police force when an early case in his career led to this specialization when it came to con schemes. I asked him to tell me a little bit about that. So, in this particular case, it was uh, 1991, and I was working as a cop, and I happened to come across some guys that were scamming an elderly neighbor of mine on Long Island in uh, New Hyde Park, New York, on Long Island. And what they had done is they said they were from the water company. It was five guys. They had a truck with out-of-state plates on it with a magnetic sign on the side that could be taken off that said, like, waterproofing, water company. And what they did is they went up to the door and they told the elderly woman that they were from the water company and they needed to come in to check the water pressure and the pipes. One guy took the elderly woman down in the basement and had her banging on the pipes while the other guy was upstairs going through her stuff, looking to steal her stuff. And it just so happens that I was in the right place at the right time with two partners of mine. And we were able to corral all five guys. It was three guys in a truck. There was two guys that went into the house. I saw the guys in the truck. One guy picked up a walkie-talkie. Next thing you know, the two guys came running out the front door of the house or walking really quickly. They went in opposite directions. They split up. But I had two partners with me. So one partner caught the one guy. I caught the other guy. And my other partner went over to the truck. We caught all five guys. So with this, Sounds like a Soprano scene. Yeah. caught all five guys. It there were me guys. <laughs> the way that he speaks as well, like his whole accent, the way that he talks, his style and everything. He said this this is a home improvement scam, and these were happening all across the country at the time. I'm sure they still are, in fact. He said it was a big arrest. It made it into the news in New York, and in fact, soon after, he gets a call from a Baltimore detective. This guy called John Grow rings him 
out to say, listen, we're behind the curve because what's happening is they're transient scammers. They're moving from one place, one state to another. And of course, the police departments are state based. Right. So he says, you know, we aren't communicating about these individuals who are pulling off these crimes and moving on over to the next state. That's how they're getting away from us. So he started almost this guy, John Gross, starts this community of investigators who are specialized in this area. And they're starting to share photographs. They're starting to communicate about people so that they can start to have an impact more on a federal level. So I was particularly interested in his work around sweetheart swindles because, of course, I asked him if he has watched the show that everyone is currently talking about. I just watched The Tender Swindler and I thought it was an excellent show. I was just disappointed in the ending in seeing how little time the man served uh, for the alleged crimes that he had committed. Uh, you know, I saw that he had served five months, had been sentenced to 15 months, but only served five months. And what really galls me in these type cases is with financial crimes, they often have a devastating impact on the victim. But unfortunately, the criminal justice system only takes violent crime seriously and let alone financial crimes. So, you know, that's a big problem in that people's lives are being destroyed. People are being emotionally abused and financially decimated by these heartless con artists, and they're being defrauded of their life savings a lot of times, but they're not receiving stiff sentences. So they just look at it as the cost of doing business, and they're back out again to do it to someone else. Yeah, it's such a good point. If there isn't a strong enough penalty... And if they're not actually being put away for long enough, there's nothing to stop them to, from going out and doing it again. It's clearly reaped the reward that they were looking mm. for. Exactly. The risk versus the reward in, in this case mm. is, is, is imbalanced. Exactly. Because the risk is, is minimal compared to what they might get if they're able to land a, a big score. Now, I have Googled Bob. You did talk about his style yeah. being very distinctive. So it's not The Wire. It's not Sopranos. It is something out of the 1980s. Yes. It's very much out of that genre. He's kind of a product of, of kind of 80s detective shows, I think. And he's stuck with that. Yeah, I you would know? agree. It's kind of like a certain kind of style of hat. It's not gritty. No. It's quite it's quite costumed, isn't it? Oh my exactly. goodness, you like Kojak. Anyone that's <laughs> ever watched Kojak will yeah. know exactly what I'm talking about. That's it's... that's what it is. It looks like a costume that yes. you wear for fancy dress. Yes. But he's embraced it. He loves it. He's like living that role, living that character essentially. And you can tell he's you know, he's so into what he does because he, he does really feel for the victims of these crimes. So he talks about how heartbreaking some of the cases he's worked on are. It's not very discreet though, is it? He doesn't look you know, if you're a private investigator, <laughs> I would imagine you need to be kind of policeman in plain clothes. If you if he walks into a bar, he screams, I'm a private investigator. If not, I'm going to a fancy dress party and I'm in the wrong place. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's one of those like double fake outs. <laughs> double dupes. Right? There's no way that bloke yeah, yeah. looks like yeah. a detective. <laughs> that guy in a trench coat and a bowler hat can't be. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, we talked a little bit about how people fall for these kind of scams, right? Because I thought sweetheart swindles. You think love is complicated and hard enough as it is. Can you imagine thinking that you were in love and then <sighs> learning that you were duped? I just really can't think of any. There's something particularly cruel about mixing up the idea of love and scams, I thought. So I I asked him how the show, because he has watched The Tinder Swindler, measures up with some of the cases in this area that he's encountered in his career. Uh, the cases that I deal with uh, all involve love, money and health. That's the three areas where people are vulnerable. You know, they did a study and they looked at what makes somebody a confidence scheme victim. And they thought, well, is it age? Is it someone that's older? Is it someone that's young? 
No, no, it wasn't age. You know, people that are 70 want to be loved and people that are 17 want to be loved. Okay. But people want to be loved. That's the whole key. But then they looked at, you know, is it race? No, race had nothing to do with it. They looked at IQ. You know, does IQ, is it, is it someone isn't intelligent? Had nothing to do with it. There's very smart people, college professors that get ripped off. And there's people that have low IQs that get ripped off or have, you know, mental disability. It has nothing to do with IQ. What it has to do is a vulnerable moment in someone's life. Everybody that gets ripped off for the most part, if you look at them, they happen to be going through something involving love or money or health. And the con artist comes along and sees that and preys upon that vulnerability during that snapshot of time of that person's life. So in the Tinder Swindler show, you know, you have young women who are looking for romance and as they're looking for that romance, okay, they get duped by someone because they really want to be loved. So he's got a bit more empathy for them. No, no, sure. For me, it was always the time scale. It was the time frame yeah. that they were willing to kind of label something as love or a relationship Fair. or, you know, the fact that they'd had a few exchanges of voice notes and they'd had a couple of meetings and that had cemented this guy's status as boyfriend. Right. To me, it's just kind of like that, you know. Yeah, of course. If it's your boyfriend, then yeah, of course you give a loan and you trust that person. But how can you really know or trust or or really know what this is in such a short amount of time? And I know you're going to say, how can you decide to buy a suit in about 15 seconds from the back of a car? But that is a transaction, right? Whereas this is like, meh, you know, do I really know this person? You know? Well, there is that, but equally... Are well, you with me here? You've got frog I, march to an ATM <laughs> I understand what you're saying, but I think in both cases, those people are just good at what they do. Yeah. So if you're getting love-bombed, and you're somebody who's just had a string of, let's say, bad relationships where you didn't treat it right, and all of a sudden you meet this charming Completely person. I haven't watched the show, but I assume this is how it goes. You meet this charming person who's just absolutely love-bombing you, and you think, this is the one. And you, your whole life, have idolized this idea of the one, be it real or not. Um, you know, I, get, I don't know. I don't personally, I can't relate to it. But at the same time, I suppose it's easier... You know, that, that you could get yeah. pulled in with something like yeah, that. Whether you're looking for a suit, which is a physical item, of course, or <laughs> love, which is obviously, it's, it's non-tangible. I, it's, I think, yeah, what, what he's saying is it's the, the desire to, to, to find that yeah. love yeah. means that you're willing to, to shortcut, you're willing to kind of bypass what, what you would actually really have to go through to achieve that kind of outcome, right? Yeah, I guess or you see it in front of you. You have a sense of hope that this yeah. is it, and you want to believe in that yeah. hope. You know? I just, you know, listening to that guy's voice notes, I mean, he just sounded, he sounded insincere, disingenuous, shady as hell. That's, that's how I, I mean, obviously, the show's called The Tinder Swindler, <laughs> so that certainly presents it as such. But that's just, to me, it just, you know, it... I, I get you. And I think, though, as one of our listeners has pointed out, Steve, I think it is, said, I initially thought the same as Rob regarding the Tinder swindler. But the fact that it turns out he played the con on hundreds of women for 10 million quid persuades me he was just very good at it. It's yeah. the sheer number of people that have fallen for this. Mm. 
that does make me think he was just really good at the act. I mean, another one that's come up that from one of our listeners, and this is one, Chris, that you and I had talked about and that you had watched. Ray had said, if you think Tinder Swindler is scary, watch Puppet Master oh, on Netflix. That one's even more of a stretch from oh, what I've heard. Goodness. One of my friends decided to detail the whole sort of premise of it to me. That sounds even more bizarre in terms yeah. of what they were willing to believe oh, by the Connor. I'm going to spoil Puppet Master for anyone out there. All I would say is, yes, okay, the Tinder Swindler, when I say they're good, they're awful because they're essentially documentaries detailing how people have been swindled, for goodness sake. But if you are someone that enjoyed the Tinder Swindler, Puppet Masters on a whole new level, three episodes, it is jaw-dropping what this individual was able to convince others to do. Truly jaw-dropping. So if you've got nothing on tonight, check out the Puppet Master on Netflix. And I asked Bob a little bit about the most sophisticated con he's ever seen, because he's clearly been doing this for more than two decades. You know, what's the kind of most intricate, most sophisticated? He kind of laughed. He said, they're actually all really simple when it comes to the mechanics of it. It's just that the con artist is really good at what they do. That's right. kind of the differentiator. So when it comes to psychic fraud, and this is what it, one of his specialties, so he used that as a bit of a blueprint. He said, oftentimes, psychic fraud, first of all, it's gone on for millennia. Yeah. And he said, it's passed on from generation to generation. So somebody will see what their mother is doing, what their grandmother is doing, and they easily, at a young age, when they're teenagers, already start reading cards, doing fortune telling, and they start to pick up the the language and some of the psychological tricks that come along with it. Um, and so that's how they they t- tap into this psychological manipulation. These con artists, they know what to say. And they have a great product. Their product is hope and it's false hope because they're selling false hope to vulnerable people. And so it doesn't take sophistication to do that. What they'll do is they'll say, you can't talk about the work with anybody or the work will fail. They isolate the victim from friends and family. They create a sense of dependency. I'm the only one that can help you. They create a siege mentality. Everyone else is out to get us, to stop us from fulfilling the mission that we're on. You and I, we're on this mission together for me to help you. They make the person believe that they want to help them and and they're all invested and and they become the person's confidant, best friend. And so, you know, you have these, you know, isolate the victim from friends and family, create a siege mentality, create a sense of dependency, exacerbate the victim's existing fears. What is it that's scaring this person and exacerbate that and then interject yourself as the person that can help them introduce new fears. Okay, so you have all of these psychological principles that come into play with the psychic fraud. It becomes a cult of one. In other words, you see these cult leaders and you say, how could someone get into a cult? You know, you look from a distance and say, how could anybody join that cult? But people are searching. They're seeking for answers. They come across this person that's very, very, you know, enticing, that knows the right words to say, that can draw people in. And the next thing you know, the people are going down the rabbit hole. I did ask him if this is always intentionally a scam, you know, if maybe sometimes people believe in their own powers and genuinely think they are a psychic, they can help people. Uh, And he said in these cases, 100% of the times he's worked on a case, the psychics, quote unquote psychics, know they are duping people. So when he when he approaches a case, he doesn't even look at it from that perspective. Is this psychic for real or not? That is not something he looks at at all. Mm. He said he looks for the 
provable lies. Mm-hmm. So, for example, it's irrelevant if somebody is actually quote unquote psychic or not. The point is, is this person is taking money from a victim and saying, I'm at the church right now. I'm at the altar. But Bob at that same point is surveilling that suspect while they're in the casino. That's a provable lie. Yeah. So he focuses in on that. He's not trying to get to the alleged truth about if that person has powers or not. But he doesn't believe that they do. He thinks that they're very knowingly aware of the scam that they're committing. You know, we've heard a little bit from him now about the mechanics, about how this works from the scammer's end and also why the victims tend to fall for it. I asked him to tell me about a memorable case. And I have a warning. This one is quite uh, it's going to break your heart. Well, I had a case with a young man who was defrauded of, uh, you know, over a half a million dollars. And in that case, he had uh, given money to the psychic because he was in love. And uh, he had been in a rehab out in Arizona and he had met a woman out there and he had fallen for her. And but she was going through some issues with with family issues of, of her own. She was going through a divorce and whatnot. And she had some children and she told him, listen, this is not a good time for us to be together. And, you know, I can't I can't do this, you know. Uh, and so he was really banged up about that. He was really emotionally devastated. And so he, he took about two months to clear his head. And then he ended up in New York City and he ended up going to see uh, two different psychics. But the second one ended up telling him that she could reunite him, you know, with this this woman that he was, uh, you know, in love with. And uh, he started working with her. And, you know, half a million dollars later, they're into this scam. And he goes online and he's on Facebook and he sees that the woman died. And so he says, this is unbelievable. I mean, she's telling me that she can get me together with this woman. And the he had, he had, I see, I read on Facebook, she's died. You know how? So he goes back to the psychic and the psychic says, oh, oh, hold on. Nothing has to be unless you want it to be something to that effect. Well, things don't have to be unless, unless it, it is like these just mumbo jumbo words. And uh, so he's like, well, what do you mean? And she says, well, don't worry. I can reincarnate her in another woman's body and it will be her. But in the other woman's body. And this poor guy was, she sent him out to California. He's out going out at night looking, thinking he's going to meet the reincarnated version of the woman that he was in love with. And it was just really sad. It was really heartbreaking that this uh, self-proclaimed psychic, you know, preyed upon this, uh, this young man's love for another woman. And it was just, it was devastating. The guy obviously did realize he was being scammed, so he turned up at Bob's door and sort of told him what had happened, and they kind of worked together on that case. But it is really hard to hear something like that because it's so obvious to and us that it's ridiculous. Get, get her come up in that case. I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, I'm not 100 percent sure on that particular one. But sometimes when it comes to people that have, um, oh, sorry, he did. He did explain to me what had happened in that case. Is it turned out it was a psychic that he had put away previously. Oh, who had wow. come back out, used a different name. He had kind of put two and two together because the guy had come to his door, said, I've been wiring money to this person, her assistant. Now, Bob had sort of recognized that name and that account name in association with a previous case, realized that it was somebody he had previously put away, and then that person was out again under a different name. Wow. Perpetuating the similar sort of crimes. Um, now, he also reiterated that financial crimes really are traumatic for the victims, um, especially when you think about the fact that they had a willing role in the matter. 
So it's not that somebody just came into your house and stole your life savings. It's you giving your life yeah. savings away. And there's a real psychological impact of that. And he had a harrowing tale. You know, people don't realize the devastating effects that financial crimes, even though they're nonviolent, can have on a victim's life. I had a young a woman call me and she said, Bob, she says, I'm in, I'm in Queens, New York. My husband and I, we don't make much. We don't have much. We don't come from much. But we saved our whole life to save up $90,000 to send our daughter to college. And I, and I just gave it away in three months. I gave it to a psychic. She duped me out of the money. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how I'm going to you know, talk to my, my husband and my daughter and, and explain this to them. And I said, okay, ma'am, you know, don't worry. I'll try to help you. You know, I've been very successful in New York. I've helped people get back a lot of money in New York and, uh, you know, as well as Florida and all around the country. And I can, you know, I'll put a case together. She says, Bob, you don't understand, Bob. You don't understand. And I said, no, I do. You know, she was, Bob, and she started to like cry a little bit. She says, you don't understand. And I said, well, what am I missing? What don't I understand? She says, Bob, she goes, I'm on my lunch break right now. She says, and I'm on the eighth floor and I'm standing on the ledge. She says, I think I should just take that one step and end it all. It'd be a lot easier than going home and facing them. And, um, you know, I had to talk that woman off the ledge. And, um, you know, luckily I was able to get her off the ledge and, uh, and, you know, she didn't take her life. But, you know, these crimes can be very devastating. Uh, when people call me, the victims call me very often they're suicidal because they've lost their life savings. And I think the criminal justice system doesn't recognize the seriousness that these crimes, these financial crimes, while nonviolent, have on victims' lives. Now, in this case, Bob also didn't know if she did get, end up getting her money back because though she met with him eventually, she decided not to pursue the case with him. So he because doesn't course, know. Pursuing the case is going to cost money as well. Once you're already in the hole, yeah. you know, you might not have the financial resources to pursue a case. Yeah, he was unclear on her motivations. I don't know if it was just money or if for some other reason she decided not to pursue the case. But he, he didn't go forward with that particular case. Mm. But he did say that, you know, at least he was in that instance able to talk some sense into yeah. her in that moment. And also, once you've gone through that and you've, you've almost been embarrassed mm. by being duped for so long, do you really want to, like, inhabit that for months on end in a case that may, you may win, you may lose? Right. You know, and being have that person front and center in your mind. You know, it's gonna might, might be easier just to forget it ever happened. Losing all that money though. That oh my god! Breaking. Bob was fascinating. Big thanks to yeah. Bob. And he's doing important work, as he said. There, he does work with a number of victims. He said he's got victims from all over the world that call him from China, the Middle East, from Australia. So he's not just working out of the U.S. Um, but he does so much work, and you know, good on him for trying to help these people in this particular situation. The Offscript Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Please do go ahead and click subscribe. You can also check out our other podcasts, Time Capsule or The Big Interview. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. 